hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Veterans Day, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am your co-host, Matthew Zachary. I'm a proud 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. Annie Goodman is off tonight. She is supposedly trapped under something heavy, still, and waiting to be found. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Tonight's show, get a job. Not so easy if you've got cancer, gaps in your resume, Talking to HR, FMLA, and wrongful termination. Oh, what fun. Join us as we delve into this hot mess with Rebecca Nellis, VP, Programs and Strategy at Cancer and Careers, and Monica Bryant, Cancer Rights Attorney and Co-Founder, COO at the lovely Triage Cancer. Survivor Rahib Kanit in the spotlight. And I'm Maureen Sweet, Chief Everything Else Officer at Stupid Cancer, back from my two-week hiatus. And I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodex. So send me your questions and feedback at any time with the hashtag SCRadio. All righty. Hello, Maureen. Hello. Back from the dead. We've missed you. <laughs> if by dead you mean Ohio. Yeah. Yes. Ohio and D.C. have been all over. Yes, you're like Johnny Cash et. Yes. I don't know what that means. Johnny Cash. Et. Oh, oh, is that the female version yes. of him? That, okay. That'll be gotcha. your music for Maureen tomorrow. <laughs> I, know, I know Johnny Cash. Yeah? You What's do. the song that I'm referring to then? The one. What? <laughs> And for those, <laughs> for, for those who don't know what music for Maureen is, uh, I'm really bad at music. Pay close more more close attention. Yeah, something like that. I've been everywhere. It's oh, the okay. Johnny Cash song I was yeah. Ring of Fire. Looking for someone. Yeah. Exactly. He, he kind of looks like Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa. I knew that guy got I'm that job. I'm familiar with the man. Nice. Yes. yes. Wonderful. Well, we were all in Ohio. We were my home state. Your home state. We got it. You were in your element. I was in. I was all in. 
in Ohio. You we were. all in. Our brand new who casino knew, in Cleveland. Who Yay. knew that Cleveland had a casino? It does. The horseshoe. That was a shocking revelation. <laughs> and yes. thank you at the same quality time. Quality establishment with yes. quality beer. I was impressed. I was yes. impressed. We went in with low expectations because of those stupid YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, there are some very horrible YouTube videos that portray Cleveland in a negative light. Yes. And Maureen doesn't exactly talk it up all the time. No. <laughs> You're not the best PR spokesperson for Ohio. Right, sure. She's sure. like, well, there's a reason I came to New York City. Yeah. Well, but I also love Cleveland. The thing is, I haven't spent a lot of time there. I'm not from Cleveland. I'm from Warren, Ohio. No one's heard of it. So I say I'm from Cleveland. Okay. I feel like that's the equivalent of someone from Long Island staying on Long Island, being, well, I live an hour from a really great city. <laughs> I'm, I'm lending Cleveland some greatness right now. Right. Yes, basically. But you could... I did lend a lot of you, greatness to Cleveland yes. in my day. Anyway, we were in Ohio because... Because we were at the Critical Mass annual conference, second annual conference of Critical Mass, an organization that aggregates um, people working in the young adult cancer space, be they nonprofit representatives or social workers, nurses, doctors. Did they hire you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. I did pretty good on that. I'm yeah. pretty proud. Um, so, yeah, so we were there for two and a half days-ish of networking and learning about advances in young adult cancer and gambling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I put $60 on a roulette table and I walked away with 700 Yep, and here is Kenny's address. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I couldn't have done it without alcohol. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. You get like the Vegas music though. I'm afraid. Well, the Vegas It's going to be Elvis yes. and it's going to take him a couple of seconds. And we have an intro. Oh, this is yeah. Kenny's Vegas music. Tonight on the <laughs> Stupid Cancer Show. This just plays whenever Kenny walks into a room. <laughs> yeah. This is Kenny's roulette music. Anyway. But you did well. And there was a meeting. There was a meeting. It was a really good meeting. <laughs> Gambling. Uh, we like worked OMG, first. Cleveland. We worked first and gambled second. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, how'd you feel the meeting went? I thought it was great. I thought they did a good, good job. Good to see a lot of friends. I like some of whom are on the show tonight. Yes. Yeah, we have Rebecca Nellis in office from Cancer and Careers. She was also you may speak by the way. I mean, I know that. We're going to formally introduce you later on in the show, but Rebecca Nellis from Cancer Careers. This is the person that I introduced. Yes. Well, I'm glad that you all thought the meeting was useful since I sat on the planning committee for the meeting. (laughs) Good planning. Well done. Yeah, I have nothing really negative to say about the meeting. I think the direction Heidi wants to take it in it makes a lot of sense. And that it's not going to be a trade organization. It's not going to be an incubator for nonprofits. It's really going to be. I'm not so keen on the whole resource thing. It's really. I like the idea that it's building clinical consensus, like mm-hmm. COG did, which is the children's oncology group. Not that it's around trials and whatnot, but how do we build? I just say consensus again in the clinical realm with oncologists, social workers, nurse navigators, nurses, and whatnot around the standards of care by which every hospital should universally unite around. And that's kind of what got COG off the ground, except they had a mandatory trials component to it, which is what has advanced pediatrics. Well, and I think one of the things that's so exciting is the idea of creating a registry means that we're going to start collecting more information about our population and that that can only serve to allow us to do better at both supporting people going through it, but also looking ahead at what the issues are and being out in front of them instead of kind of running after them. Right. So, like, you're like the stupid cancer of science. I like that. 
And so saith I. I know, I was like, and Matt has proclaimed it to be such. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think kind of the theme of the conference was connecting the dots, and I think if, they, if critical mass lives in that space of being that connector right. and using that imagery to sort of explain it, there's a lot that they can do and that we can support them in from our own institutions. Agreed. So my, my takeaway... And I, I wrote this in the feedback, and as you are still on the planning committee, you probably read my feedback. I have not read anyone's okay. feedback, and I forgot to turn in my own. <laughs> well done, well done. You're Thank fired. You. You're great at planning. Luckily, yeah. it was a volunteer <laughs> position. Right. So. Is, you know, I think that advocates who come from smaller organizations need to understand what role, if any, they have there. Because if this is going to be science and clinical, that's really important. But what role do the advocates truly play if they're in need of money, in need of resources, un- want to understand how do they be stewards of the science when they're so busy just trying to pay the rent? So, and I think that's a big question, and I think there was a period of time um, when the alliance was under the Livestrong banner where it was the science side that felt like their clarity was less clear and the advocates were all there to like build partnerships and they could act on things faster because the system works differently on an advocacy side than on a science side. And so I think now it's figuring out how do those things work together better and how can advocates take the information that the clinical side is coming up with and actually deliver it to the population because really we're seeing more of those people across hospital systems than any one institution is seeing. Right. So it, to me, it's that standard of care. It's, yep. it, and I don't know about you guys, but the one part that blew me away, uh, we had Glenn Rockowitz on the show like three years ago when he had this uh, ro- Rodeo and Joliet uh, performance. And he's a great guy, really smart. I didn't realize how creative he was until we played that, that amazing video, which we will post on our Facebook and Twitter that page. That video was the highlight. Yes. Like, actually, the highlight. Very rarely do I say, man, I wish I did that. Totally (laughs) sat in the room and thought, my mind is blown, and I know what the problem is. Yeah. It was a great video. So we're going to definitely share that video with you guys. Changeitback.org. Changeitback.org. We'll uh, be tweeting it and putting it in the chat room. It's good good stuff. Anyway, really quickly before we bring out um, Rahab, I want to uh, let Kenny take the floor because he just spent the last... 11 days uh, forehead deep in launching our brand new Stupid Cancer Store. Well, it's good to be uh, less than forehead deep. Uh, yeah, we, we relaunched the Stupid Cancer Store. It's all new. It's all brand new. Beautiful. Some new stuff in there. We got some yoga pants. and <laughs> <laughs> Yoga pants! We had, a pre, we had a pre-show discussion about the yoga pants. Uh, we also have the new Cancer Bird, which is our uh, holiday offering, which is somehow coming out after the holiday, so it's not quite a holiday offering, uh, but we are taking pre-orders for the bird that gives the finger. Uh, we are giving cancer the bird. So we yeah, for anyone that. who's ever bought our family-friendly wristbands, you know that we've been selling a Give Cancer the Bird campaign for quite a while. Well, we actually made a plushy bird giving the bird. So you can actually give cancer the bird. And I believe you can go to givecancerthebird.org and you will land directly on the website. Give cancer the bird. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get to our uh, survivors. I'm very excited. Um, I came across this young woman through our friend Dawn Manley in the Raleigh-Durham chapter. So let's uh, introduce her. Our survivor spotlight tonight is uh, Rahab Kennedy, a 38-year-old single mom from Raleigh, North Carolina, whose financial security unraveled following the discovery 
of a cancerous tumor in her stomach. Tonight she's joining us to share her experience. She got some great press, really raising awareness for some scathing, gaping holes in our broken healthcare system. Please welcome to the show, Rahab Kennedy. Hello. Yes, hello. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, you are. Thank you. I get a certain prize for that one. Thank you. Thank well, you. Yeah. Yes, a lot of people, they always call me rehab. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess that's not the yes, worst thing. Yes, they always call me rehab. When I work at the hospital, because I do work at the hospital, they um they sometimes call me rehab, especially the old folks. They always call me rehab. And I say, yeah, I still love you even if you call me rehab. <laughs> oh, we love our old folks. Yes. So you were yes. you were di- you're, you're six months out of a diagnosis of stomach cancer. You're 38 years old, correct? Yes, yes. So talk I us was through that. Six months ago. Yeah, talk us through that. What was what, were you had symptoms? Were you working? What what's the uh the, the gist on that? Yes, what happened is um, I work at the hospital, and um, it's kind of, I felt like vomiting. I was vomiting blood every day. Every day I was vomiting clots of blood, and I, didn't know, I did not know what was going on. And um, I remember one day I was taking care of the patient, and I vomited in front, in front of the patient. And they had to take me, the, my coworkers, had to take me to the emergency room, and uh, when I got to the emergency room, they um, did some tests, and they came up saying that I was suffering from um, ulcers. That's That's what they said, and they prescribed some medicine for me, so I went to the pharmacy and got the medicine thinking that, you know, the symptoms would go away. And the, 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 the symptoms kept, kept on coming on and off, on and off every day. And I, I kept vomiting blood every day. So it, it became so severe and I couldn't even eat. Everything I would eat, I would just vomit. Anything was getting in my mouth, I would just vomit. And I started losing weight, and, you know, and I felt really bad because I was trying to wonder if it was ulcers, you know, when you take medicine, you know, it will grow away sometimes. But this one was going on and off and on, and I was going to the hospital, and they would tell me the same thing. So I decided to go to another hospital to get checked. And then when they did their test, they said that I had gastritis. So they changed the medicine again. Now I started taking medicine for gastritis. Now that that became worse because the medicine started interrupting with my stomach and, you know, it became worse and I started, you know, um, vomiting blood more and more. So um, I went to another doctor and, and, and then the doctor gave me some days and he said that um, I, I will not, I'm not going to see you today. The only thing I'm going to do, I'm going to schedule an appointment for you, but it's going to be like two months. And I had to be patient to wait until two months were over. But at that time, see, I was just vomiting blood every day, every day. And I thought I was just going to die. And don't you work? You work at a hospital too, right? You're in a hospital as an employee, and this is still happening. Yes. 
it was happening, and I didn't have no choice because now they told me that I had to work. I spoke with my manager, and she said, Rahab, this is ulcers, you know, ulcers is not something big. You, you know, just take medicine, but you need to come back to work because we don't have anybody who can fill your spot. So you have to come back to work. So I was working at the same, you know, going through all these problems, pain, and, you know, because I was working at night, it was even more difficult for me because I'm sleepy and I'm trying to attend the patient. I'm vomiting. And, I mean, it was worse. Sometimes I would go to the bathroom and stay forever because I'm vomiting, vomiting, vomiting consistently. So it became so worse that I couldn't handle, and I had to tell the manager, please, 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 I cannot do this no more. Please excuse me. Like, let me just go home. And because of the way she saw me, I was, you know, I was losing weight, and she saw really that my, my health was not good, and she had to send me home. So when I came home, after a few months, I decided to uh, look for another doctor from the directory. So when I found the doctor, I went to him, and I said, look, I need your help. I really need your help. I don't know what to do. I've, I've been going to the hospital. They say I do have gastritis, and then they're saying I'm having ulcers. I don't know what's going on with me. Please, I, I need your help. He looked at me, and he said, I will help you because you look to be a nice person. I'm going to help you. So he immediately um, said that uh, he was going to uh, send me to X-ray to see, you know, to check in the stomach and see what, what was going on. So when they, um, when he sent me there, they checked my stomach and they, they came with, with a solution saying that I had a, a debris in my gallbladder. So my gallbladder had to be taken out. And immediately they scheduled for an appointment and I went there, they took out my gallbladder. But before they could take the gallbladder out, I told my doctor, please, can you help me check my stomach and see what is going on there? Because I'm not, I don't feel, I don't feel good at all with my stomach because I'm vomiting blood. And he said, that's, that's something that, you know, it, I don't think it's associated with your gallbladder, but I'm going to help you. I would, I, I'm not special with the stomach, but I'm going to help you while I'm taking your gallbladder out. So they took my gallbladder out. He, he took my gallbladder while taking my stomach. So um, he took um, some call, the biopsy, and took to the laboratory to see what was wrong. So after he took my gallbladder, I came home a week, and then he, um, he, he, he called me. After two weeks, he called me to ask me how, how my gallbladder was doing. I said, it was fine. Then he said, I got a bad news. I said, what is it? He said, you have a, a, a stomach cancer. I said, stomach cancer? Oh, I, I was shocked. I stayed like maybe three minutes without even talking to him on the phone. He, said, he asked me, are you okay? I said, yes, I am. But it, it just shocked me because I, I don't know how I could get cancer. I, I wasn't even believing that I had cancer. I said, you said I have cancer, stomach cancer. Stop crying. Now I accepted, my, I accepted myself and stopped crying. And then he said, don't worry, don't cry, I'll help you. I'm not specialized with stomach cancer. I do, I'm just specialized with uh, removing the gallbladder. But I'm going to transfer you, I'm going to refer you to somebody who is specialized with cancer, who works on an oncology area. 
So he did um, refer me to another doctor. His name was uh, his name is Dr. Yul Fesco. He's a very good doctor. So when I went there, he immediately um, ordered for another test to see where my cancer, uh, what stage was the cancer, and if it had progressed. So when I went there, they took me to the uh, test, which is CT scan, and um, they checked my stomach, and they, they saw it was, uh, um, uh, after that, the result came up uh, saying that it was a large diffuse lymphoma, that, uh, stage 1E. That's what they say. And, um, I, 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 you know, I, they took me to, um, he made an appointment again, and, and, and then I went and started having treatment right away. So they, they gave me treatment. I started losing my hair, my, 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 uh, my, my nails. They started changing. And, uh, and I saw, you know, my, my body changing, started sweating, all this, you know, and uh, I'm going through treatment even not right now, as, as I'm talking right now. Every two weeks, I've got to go for treatment. Rahab, now, if I can just in, interrupt you for a second, I want to get to a couple of questions. Um, I, I, you, you've been very yeah. articulate in explaining this journey, and I want to make sure that our listeners yeah. get a perspective from you. Uh, first and foremost, you are a working single mother, uh, right, and your son is 18. How has he reacted yes. to this uh, diagnosis of yours? Oh, my God. I'm telling you, my son is a strong boy. When when I was told that I had stomach cancer, he looked at me because he, he heard at the distance, he, the doctor talking on the phone, he asked me, Mommy, what, what, what is the doctor saying? I said, he, I started crying. He said, what is he saying? Tell, just tell me what he's saying. I said, he said I have stomach cancer. And then he looked down, and then he looked up. And that time he was doing his, his exam, final exam. And it, it affected him because now my, my health is start deteriorating. I don't have anybody to help me except him. So he could go and try to fix something. I'm not eating. I'm vomiting. And every time he, he's trying to do exam. And I'm, I'm calling him, please, please come, do this, because I can't do nothing. I can't even walk. I was admitted at the hospital. You know, he called my, when I, when I got very sick, my, my white blood, uh, my white count cell, cells went down. He called 911 because I fell in the bathroom. Then he called 911. And then they came pick me up and took me to the hospital and stopped putting uh, blood in, they did blood transfusion. They, they gave me some medicine. And uh, my my son was there for me, you know. He was taking care of me. He was he was cooking for me. He was trying to help me in all ways. But he failed his exams because of the stress. Because we didn't we I was not working. We don't have anything to eat in the house. So so we could he could try to just boil some rice. I could eat the rice the whole week. Nothing else, just rice. And and I couldn't clean it. I couldn't even put it, keep it in my stomach because I'm just vomiting, vomiting. I'm not even having anything that I can eat that I like because I cannot afford. I'm not working. It was it's it's been so hard, so hard because even the rent, I cannot even pay the rent. The bills, I don't have money to pay the bills. I'm trying to ask people to help me. No one can even step in to help me. I cried and I said, why am I going through this? Why? You know, I was just crying, crying because it has been affecting us all the time. 
sometimes I get up in the morning, I, I feel like, why, why, why is it morning? Why is it morning now? What am I going to do? You know, it's, it's been so hard, very hard to just, you know, um, help myself alone here. Nothing, nothing at all. Rahab, let me, yeah. let me check in so here again I, with you and, and ask you another question. Uh, you are an employee of Duke Hospital. There are certain entitlements yes. and rights that you have as an employee of Duke Hospital. Tonight's radio show is specifically about cancer and careers and how people can navigate their careers and maintain their rights and their dignity through the process. Have you had any conversations with the Human Resources Department at your hospital to provide you with reasonable accommodations? Yes. I, ha- I spoke with the Human Resource. This is what happened. When I, I, I have a social worker. The social worker, she, she works at Duke here in Raleigh. There are two Dukes. There's one in Durham and one here in Raleigh. So the social worker that I, I talked to, she works here in Duke, Raleigh, and she helped me. She gave me, gave me some papers to fill out. So I filled those papers uh, uh, for disabil- short-term disability. So I sent in the papers, and then after two weeks, they were returned denied. They said that we're not going to, the, the forms were saying that we're not going to help you because we, we, you, you haven't uh, indicated any diagnose, diagnosis here. So we're not going to help you. So I, I wrote some more. I went to my doctor and I asked my doctor to help me fill out because I couldn't understand what they were saying. So I asked my doctor. My doctor helped me fill out the papers again. And I, I, I resent the papers again. And then see, until now, I haven't got any response. I try to call them. No one is answering the phone. Nothing. So I had I decided to talk to um, the Duke president because now I didn't know what to do. I'm trying. Even my social worker said I've helped you. Why can I cannot go beyond that? So I decided to talk to to the um, the Duke president. Uh, 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 um, he, I, I don't remember his name properly, but he helped me. He said that uh, um, I'm going to try and, and, and talk to one of the ladies here, and she will try to get in touch with you. So I've been trying to communicate with the lady through the email because she rarely answers her phone. Her phone. So I'm trying to talk to her until today. She just recently, like uh, two weeks ago, she told me that uh, she had sent somebody else again to talk to me. So I told her nobody has called me yet. So she said she's going to try and get in touch with that person. So I've been waiting until now. And it's been six months. I haven't got any help at all. Well, I'm I'm glad. Well, by the way, we're, we're running out of time. These interviews go very very quickly, and uh, I'm I'm really privileged that you're able to join us and share your story. This is unfortunately very common in our world. And at, I'm 39. Yeah. You're 38. This is this is something that is is relatively unknown that people our age get sick and that we are we are parents and with jobs and it's and we go broke and it's very difficult. I'm glad that you have the near, our North Carolina chapter behind you. They're the ones that made me aware of you. And we have been promoting Thanks. that you were picked up in the media. It was a really great story. Uh, I was hoping you could maybe just close up a little bit about, you know, what ha- have you reached out to any patient advocate organizations or um, there are websites that let you create fundraisers for yourself to help pay your bills and cover some costs. There are also numerous cancer organizations that offer financial assistance 
and even some of the pharmaceutical companies who produce medications offer, uh, I, I forget what the, the, the term is called, but the compassionate care or uh, the free medication. Have you talked to anyone about these resources that might be able to help you at least acutely right now? Yeah, well, um, this lady, uh, her name is Dawn. Uh, she she has been trying to help me so much, and I I, I want to thank her so much for, you know, stepping in into my life and trying to help me. And she has really, really tried to get in touch with me and, and send these resources. And I've been trying to get in, in touch with the resources and there's a lady told me that she was going to help me uh, in terms of transportation and also in terms of like like you mentioned those uh, the website that you know the, that I can help myself with fundraising and then they see if they can help me but uh, she told me that she's on, on vacation so I'm waiting for her to come back to the office and then you know I can get I can call her so that she can help me with that process. Well, I'm again, I'm really, really glad that you found somebody from within our community to sort of help you navigate and get along the way, and I'm happy to help. I will talk to Dawn when she gets back from her trip. And, uh, again, I really thank you so much for coming on the show to just share even a piece of your story is so powerful for our listeners, and it's so uh, symbolic and endemic of everything that we stand for here at Stupid Cancer. So, I wish you Godspeed. Your son sounds like an extraordinary young man, and uh, we're here for you. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. The only thing right now is, um, right now, and I'm 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 having just uh, difficulties with the rent because there's no any place that people right now they are talking about economy is so hard and and and, and I do understand. You know, I do understand that area, but I'm right now. I don't. I don't know what I'm gonna do because with with rent is is just critical for me right now. You know, um, there are other things. You know, like food. You know, I went to uh, the church. Uh, there's a church uh, that is next to me. I went there and they gave me some food. And um, also with the with the bill, they they try to help me with one bill. They said the only thing they can help me is only paying one bill. So, um, Rahab, I'm really I sorry. Think, we have uh, to end the interview. We're really out of time. We will definitely follow up with you after the show, and I will make sure you get connected to yes. as many resources as possible. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so All right. much. Rahab, can meet everybody. All righty, let's get to the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. We certainly don't want missing out. Matt, we got some stuff coming up in the Twin Cities, Fairlawn, New Jersey, Billings, Montana, Providence, Rhode Island, Cocoa, Florida, and right here in New York City. All right, Instapeer, our revolutionary mobile app initiative. What the hell is that? I have no idea. It has the potential to end isolation and connect people with those who've walked in your shoes. You can help Stupid Cancer reach our $50,000 goal 
We are currently at 50, what, 57%? Something like about that. About $28,000. Yes, we, we, we are at less than 100. <laughs> less than 100%, yes. Probably, probably. <laughs> we are at less than 100% of our goal. Visit instapeer.com. This is the app that you wish you had when you were sick. Instapeer.org. Save the date for OMG 2014, the seventh annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults. Next April at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas, visit omg2014.org to join the mailing list and the official Facebook group. All right, you are listening to the Stupid Cancer Show in our all-new broadcasting stunning HD format. We know you can't listen to each show live, so be sure to subscribe for free anytime on iHeartRadio Talk, Apple iTunes Podcast, or right here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Visit stupidcancershow.org anytime to get connected, and thank you for listening. The fall season is upon us, so it's time to stock up on some new threads like Stupid Cancer Brand hoodies, hats, gloves, yoga pants, Cancer Bird, and more. Surf on over to stupid <laughs> stupidcancerstore.org. Kenny just had a stroke. And anytime, that is your... Anytime. Uh, stupid yes, Cancer News. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, bye. <laughs> All right. And now the opening of our universe here. I'm excited. I'm very excited because... Like the Wonder Twins. All right. I think the wheels have come off. Yeah. Monica Bryan, returning champion, is a cancer rights attorney and the chief operating officer for Triage Cancer, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing education resources on cancer survivors. You might know her because she kicked off season 13 in September. Joining her is in studio live, sitting next to me, Rebecca Nellis, vice president of programs and strategy at Cancer and Careers, plural. Uh, where she developed <laughs> on Twitter as Cancer and Career, <laughs> where she developed programs to meet the ever-growing needs <laughs> of employees who are working through the cancer treatments and those who support them. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show Rebecca Nellis and not Joanna Morales. <laughs> Hello. Cricket, cricket, cricket. What is going on? <laughs> we, we have spent a lot of time together in these There's last a lot handful of, of days. A lot of inside <laughs> jokes going on right now on the radio. And silence. Yes, yeah, the cricket silence. I'll, I'll just keep the crickets here and we'll be fine. There we go. Okay, anyway. Hello, Monica. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Where are you calling in from? Uh, I am actually in Chicago, where I reside, which I know is a little bit shocking. That is quite shocking that you're actually in your home city. You travel so much. We wish we could clone you. Oh, wait, you have a sister. It's the closest thing to it. Yes. I really need to get me one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so you heard our, our opening guest. It was a very compassionate and compelling case study for how cancer can make you broke and how your employers may or may not be able to work with you. And there's so many changes in this country constantly going on. How does one make sense of the madness beyond the simple one-on-one of here you can do this? So let's start from the, from scratch. Let's start with what is cancer and careers, Rebecca? Oh, I really wasn't expecting that as the opening question. I was going to give you my whole the questions a person needs to ask themselves and of their own. Well, we have to go way down way to the basin first Sorry. and build up. I, apologies. Yes. Um, so Cancer and Careers is a national nonprofit that is focused on the issues 
uh, around cancer and employment. So really that intersection of where work and cancer meet each other. And so we have been around for 13 years um, and our focus is really to get people back to work if that's where they want to be, to figure out how to step away from work if that's what they want to do, or to work through treatment if that's their goal. And that is, in fact, for many people, the goal is to be able to balance both things. And not just from a financial or health insurance standpoint, but from an identity one. So we all know that cancer brings up mortality issues, but it also brings up identity issues. And in this country, work is very closely tied to that. So we create a battery of national programs free webinars, free publications, free resume review service, a national conference on working cancer to really get at that issue from all sides. And then we also work very closely with healthcare professionals to train them to work with their patients. And what was the impetus behind the formation of Cancer and Careers? So Cancer and Careers is the philanthropic arm of a trade organization in the beauty industry. And about 13 or so years ago, five board members were diagnosed with cancer at the same time. Wow. And so there was a lot of information around the medical piece and where to turn for that. But these were really successful women who'd worked very hard to get to a certain place in their professional life, and there was no information for them around what to do with their job. Wow. It's a, it's, it's a certainly, I always feel that way when I tell that story. I did not know that part. You didn't know that part? I did part? not know that part. Oh, That's so, amazing. Yeah, so it really came from a very holistic, organic reaction to a problem, which was they went to the person who leads the trade organization and said, this has happened because she'd been very active in the cancer world just as a human, and she couldn't believe that there wasn't anything about work, and work is such an essential element to right. our existence. Right. But it was also at a time where survivorship was only really becoming part of a, a regular conversation, that quality of life for the people who've gone through it versus research. And obviously, they're both right. important. Right. And it was another sort of um, almost a, a, a stake in the ground for young adults, too, because the majority of people who get cancer are over 65 and right. probably retired. So the discussion of cancer rights and employment is clearly another major message about being not over 65 with cancer. Absolutely. And certainly for us has been a target audience, even though we serve that whole working age population, which is changing for people. Right. You know, how, how long you work, 65 is a last now, right? Yeah, like, I, know. I mean, my mom is still working and she's 68. So, yeah. um, but that young adult space is key because you're either, if you're in that early part of that young adult space, you haven't even begun to really have a professional life. So you don't even know how to kind of forward move through that. And if you're in your 30s, you're just getting settled into something. You've right. just figured it out, sort of. And yeah. then what do you do about that? And how valuable are you? And so how do you stay valuable and stay relevant in that space? And Monica, you are very unique that you have a sister and you're both attorneys, cancer rights attorneys, and you both seem to be the only ones in the world <laughs> who have the breadth of knowledge. I hope that's untrue, but you, the two of you are like the greatest roadshow in all of healthcare. I would like you to just start out with how, how you got started, both of you, in this and what led you to do what you do now. Absolutely. So it's, it's sort of not a straight path by any stretch of the imagination, but Joanna and I are both, in fact, attorneys. Um, and we both feel really strongly about the idea that uh, people should have access to quality information about the law and about their rights. And it was 
especially important in the cancer community because there are all of these laws out there that can protect people and can provide benefits and can really impact somebody's quality of life. So, you know, we're really about the idea of getting this information into the hands of the people that need it. Um, and that's, that's the goal of triage cancer, really. And it's, triage cancer deals with the whole spectrum of cancer survivorship issues, but Joanne and I do focus on um, the legal, health insurance, employment side of the coin. Although I think I'm offended that I wasn't included in the greatest roadshow ever comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am to please. <laughs> Clearly. All right. So, again, outside of the obvious stuff, because, I mean, personally, I've heard your presentations. They're extraordinary. You know more than anyone on the planet could possibly know to answer any question about anything in careers in healthcare, especially around the Affordable Care Act. How do you get the word out to people? And second part of that question is, what percentage of people affected by cancer are not even aware that they have rights? So clearly we're going to have to hire you to do our marketing for us moving forward because uh, you say wonderful things, so I appreciate that. Um, and how we get the word out is by talking to anybody and everybody that will listen. I mean, we say, along with Rebecca, that we are talking about these issues one person at a time, one room at a time, um, to whoever will listen to us. So it's slow going, but I think that we've made huge progress in the last few years about sort of bringing up the idea that information about health insurance status and work status need to be part of the discussion when we're talking about cancer care. Um, all the way through survivorship and, and recovery. So, it, you know, it's definitely hard work, but it's work that we love. Um, and, you know, you asked for a really interesting fact that I don't think we have in terms of how many people don't know that they have rights in this area. Um, but I can tell you sort of anecdotally, most of the people that sit through our sessions are surprised that there are, in fact, as many things to protect them as there are. And I would like to take this moment to also explain part of why Monica and I are on the show together is because we think partnership is the key way in which to change the conversation and to get the information out there. And we are talking about the practical employment issues, which is what Cancer and Careers specializes in, and the legal issues around employment and cancer, which is what Monica and Joanna specialize in, they go together in a very intertwined way. You really can't talk about one without the other. And so we like to go places together in part to show that visually. Like visually, you can't talk about this without both of these ideas at the table. And so here we both are at the table to walk you through what that looks like, if that makes sense. So one of our models, and is certainly a triage cancer model, is to partner to work with the community and to provide this to the community to get it as far as it can go. So let's get down to some of the nitty-gritty stuff. Let's talk about reasonable accommodation and dealing with the Human Resources Department. And um, So let's start with Rebecca. How? All right, so, so you're young, you have cancer, you're afraid to tell your attorneys, you're, you're afraid to tell your boss, um, you post on Facebook, they find out this is the social media age of oops, talk about that. 
Well, so you're getting to one of my two key soapboxes right off the bat. Thank you for that softball, Matt. Monica's laughing. I can hear her. <laughs> um, this is such a huge, ripe area, and and not solely for the young adult population, but certainly at a higher percentage for it. But fully about 30% of U.S. adults are talking about their health online. So that's not a small number of people discussing what their personal situation is. And so there is this very real issue that goes, I wasn't going to tell anyone at work, but now I've done these things online, and so work knows. And so for us, if you can get to people before they've done that, that's the goal, right? Because then they can make mindful decisions, and if they're going to be people, and in your community in particular, we know loads of them. I'm never not going to say something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear it on my shirt. I'm going to wear it on my sleeve. But there are other people who don't feel that way. So if you can get to people first, that's obviously the dream. If you can't, then it's about being strategic and thinking through what their response is going to be so that they can then own the next piece of it and have control over their message. So part of it is just being informed. My first recommendation is Google yourself. You should know what comes up about you because then you have the same information that everyone else has, and then you can strategize around that. There's a word for that, by the way. Googling it's called, yourself? It's called ego surfing. It is? Yes. I don't like that as much. I, I think people won't want to do that <laughs> as much as when I say Google it's yourself. Called, it's called ego surfing. Yeah. <laughs> Digital e- dirt. I ego surf most of my days. In that. <laughs> you know I knew that about you, Kenny. Yes. I have a Google yeah. alert. Yes. About Kenny Kane. About yeah. himself, Kenny yeah. Kane is doing this. Kenny Kane is doing that. Yeah. He does really interesting things sometimes. <laughs> so, and, and in terms of the, the legal aspects of this, if you feel, this is another one of those questions, what percentage of people know they have the right to reasonable accommodation or to talk to their HR person and how many HR people are fully aware and schooled of the rights of their employees. What do you guys do besides speaking to actual patients and and survivors? Do you speak to industry about that? Are there HR conferences? You know, how do employers understand the best things to do to avoid these situations that can often come up? Monica? So we actually do talk to, yeah, we actually do talk to employers and uh, HR people and, again, anyone who will listen. Um, and certainly there are some amazing human resources people out there who know the law inside and out and are really about um, doing the right thing and following the law. But just like any profession, there's some that might not be so great. And so what we really say is that it's, frankly, up to an individual to know what their rights are and to make sure that they can be an advocate for themselves. So many people don't even know that they're not required to tell their employer about their cancer diagnosis and that they only have to disclose that they may have a medical condition in very limited circumstances. So, for example, if you need to take medical leave or you're asking for a reasonable accommodation, you might need to talk about a medical diagnosis or a medical situation, but you never have to say the word cancer. So it's really about just informing people what the law says and what they're legally required to do so that they can then make the best choice for themselves. And Cancer Incur has actually created a manager's toolkit that someone can download off the site and take with them to help ease the conversation from a credible third-party source. So it's not like you're going in to talk to your manager or HR and you're like, I've just divined that I have these rights, but rather, <laughs> you know, here is this outside resource that they could then go Google and go see that we are an institution that exists and help them kind of have that dialogue. And it's not a deep dive into each 
piece of a law, but it is the broad strokes that kind of allows for the conversation to start. And to your point, Matt, one of the biggest issues is lots of companies, stupid cancer included probably, don't have in-house HR. And so you're working with your manager. You're not working with a formalized HR team who has been trained. And most people who grow up to manage people were never taught how to manage people. They don't know what the law says about what you can ask in an interview um, what you need to know in terms of being able to decide what kind of reasonable accommodations might work for both sides, because it's just a human being who ascended to a certain level and then had staff. Right. So that, that knowledge base isn't there. And so if you have a, an institution that also doesn't have in-house HR, the patient becomes the educator. I think she's talking about us. <clears throat> I mean, if the shoe fits. <laughs> As an example. Yes, just as an example. Just as maybe some chatter from pre-show. That I, I have to be here somehow managing these people without any management experience. So, all right, so let's, let's then go into the issues of social footprint, gaps in your resume, cover letters, and the issues young adults face with disclosure where they're not sure if they have to or if they don't have to. I And just as a case study, when I applied... I was going to grad school. They didn't care. I was sick. I just was too sick to go. So I had to settle down and get a regular job. And on my job interview, I was bald. I was thin. I looked sick. And I was scared to death that they would think I was just like this dying AIDS person because it was 96, that I wouldn't get this job. And even though they couldn't really you know, scrutinize you, we were still there back then, I was so scared to tell anyone that I was just, I'm still getting over the throes of like, massive surgery and radiation and I'm bald and I can't eat food. And it, they gave me the job. I got the job. But I, I was so uncomfortable in that process. And on top of the fact that I had a full year of nothing on my resume. So I was this person mm -hmm. in 1996. Let's, let's talk about this topic. Mm -hmm. So anecdotally, I'll tell you that the question cancer and careers gets asked about the most on a daily basis is the gap in work history and then how that impacts a resume, a cover letter, and an interview. Like, I don't have empirical evidence for us, but that is the hot question. We answer it all the time. Um, and so it really is a system of figuring out a series of things about yourself. So one, there's multiple kinds of resumes. And so it's important to know what is current in the job market, not specific to the cancer world, but current in the job market. And so Cancer and Careers has a ton of information on our website about how to build a good resume and examples of a chronological resume, which is the one everyone is the most familiar with. But there's also something called a chronological functional resume, which sort of pushes experiences and skill sets up and actual job listings down. And so it's about making decisions that are strategic around that. It's around um, did you volunteer? Did you work on a project? Did you take an online course? Did you do something in that time that you can use? Not everyone's going to have done that. But if you did, that goes on a resume, and there's a place for that in the dialogue. Um, because the goal of the resume and the cover letter are simply part of the game to get you the in-person phone call or interview, right? So it's about playing the game that everyone who's job seeking is trying to do. And since the economic downturn in 2008, gaps on a resume are less uncommon. So CareerBuilder actually did a survey about a year and a half ago that the Harvard Business Review wrote about, about hiring managers, not in the cancer space, what they're looking for if there are gaps on people's resume, because they're no longer just throwing those people out because right. the whole world has a gap on their resume. Right. So that's the good news. In the, in the cancer space around those gaps. But then once you get in the door, 
you do need to be prepared to answer a question about it, right? It might not come up, but you should have done that work beforehand and practiced your answer. And the goal is to swivel. So you acknowledge the question, there was a family issue, I realized I wasn't happy in my last role and I needed to figure out what would make me happy, whatever your opener is. But just own it. Own it, but broadly, you don't, yeah. ha- you don't have to tell your whole life, just you, you need to answer it because people in an interview are ticking things off a box, right? Right. So I was dealing with a family issue, I realized I wasn't happy in my last role and was really looking for something else, and my skills would marry to this job because of X, Y, and Z. So you right. change the subject, yes. you swiveled, as it were. Nice to someplace else. And ideally, that interviewer is going to feel like you, you answered the question they asked, but then you've pushed the conversation towards what they really care about, which right. is, can you do the job? So speaking of Googling and... Were you just and, Googling yourself, Kenny? Yes, you ego were surfing. Ego and, surfing. And changing the subject and, and sort of rewriting the past. How do you feel about reputation management? So yay, because we You're just welcome. put up an article on the Cancer and Curse website specifically about this, and we had someone kind of take a deep dive into what's going on. We don't endorse either formally or informally the use of the firms, but they are a burgeoning industry that is kind of fascinating, and they're only, like, I think the oldest one is like five years old, so it's a very new thing. But there are companies out there that you can pay to kind of push things back into your Google search and like create new content that would be of a higher ranking. But there's also a checklist on our site of things you can do yourself that you don't have to pay someone else to do to kind of improve your online footprint. So, and it's definitely something to think about and it's become a very hot topic in this space. Wait, basically they like purge all of your potentially... It's like SEO suppression. Sort of, or it's pushing it down because no prospective employer is going to look at the 70th page of a Google search, right? right? It's the first three or so pages if you're really worried, right? Right. It's really the first page probably because people are busy. But if you're concerned, those first few pages are the places people kind of tick through. And it makes sense. They want to know if what you've said to them in a a cover letter and resume kind of lines up to a person's online footprint. And in the world we live in, everyone's got one. Right. Um, So it's about getting new content that's going to be higher ranked. It's about activity on sites that get a lot of traffic. So some of it is just simple like that. And others of it is, yeah, if they can go to a website and get someone to take something down for you and you're willing to spend the money to have them do that, they will. So let's transition back to Monica then, and we'll, I yes, want to talk about... Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I'm tired of you. <laughs> and let's talk about... Monica, you were on the show in September talking about the Affordable Care Act and debunking Obamacare, and I love to consistently reiterate the Jimmy Kimmel uh, parody where he interviewed people on the street and asked them which one they support more, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, and almost un- universally everyone wanted the Affordable Care Act and not Obamacare. So as hysterical as that is, it's terrifying. How are you in your role trying to leverage now knowing most people are idiots, well-intended idiots, uninformed people uh, about the realities of this? And how does that specifically, how does ACA specifically tie into uh, careers and cancer? So again, the answer is one room at a time. We shout it from the rooftops, and we hope people are listening that, in fact, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, and health care reform are all the same thing. And uh, we just hope that people, you know, what was kind of horrifying about that Jimmy Kimmel interview was that people didn't just 
think they liked Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. They were adamant about it. Um, they were so sure of their position that I just urge people to actually go to credible sources to look for information before they pass judgment. Um, and then specifically how it ties into the careers, I mean, it really, the law doesn't, doesn't really speak to employment issues except sort of around the way that health insurance ties into employment. So a vast majority of Americans get their health insurance through their employers. And that will continue to happen for most people. Um, there are some employers that are now, smaller employers that are now going to be able to offer health insurance because there's going to be some tax credits because of the Affordable Care Act. So you're now getting sort of a whole new pool of people into the, into the marketplace. There's also going to be a penalty for large employers who choose not to provide health insurance. So, I mean, really the idea that an employer is going to still provide health insurance is confusing to a lot of people. There's been a lot of myths out there that speak to the fact that the Affordable Care Act is, is messing with that, and it's, uh, it's really not, as well, far as we can tell. Why do people, uh, this is the rhetoric on the news cycles, why do they say that the Affordable Care Act is a job killer? Where, where does that come from? So I love how you always ask me these questions where I have to peer into the minds of the unknown they. Yeah. Um, I think... The they, the they out there. I think exactly what you said it is. Yeah, it's rhetoric. Um, It it really is rhetoric because um, as far as we know, the Affordable Care Act is, in fact, employing more people. So um, there are what's called in-person assisters being hired to help people figure out what their health insurance options are in the marketplaces. There's people who have been hired to create the marketplaces. Um, So thus far what we've seen is, in fact, sort of an uptick in jobs because of the ACA and not the other way around. And to actually circle back for one second around how does the ACA kind of relate to employment by individual, there's a real big issue in the cancer community around job lock and worker mobility and people who stay tied to their work more because of the insurance that they feel safe and comfortable having and not because opportunities might have presented themselves or they might want to be entrepreneurs or they might want to do something else, but they've stayed because of health insurance. And so if the ACA flies, as it were, and and really takes off, one of the things that we're at Cancer and Careers keeping an eye on is how that impacts the way people are working during and post-cancer because their insurance isn't going to be tied. It won't have to be, let me rephrase, to their current employer. It could be, and that could be fine, but for those people who haven't felt like they can make a move um, because of a pre-existing exclusionary period or because they are afraid they can't find as good insurance having ever had cancer, those things are changing. And so watching, we can't know the future yet about what that's going to look like, but this idea of job lock is very much tied to the cancer community in terms of concerns about being uninsured, even several years post-treatment concluding, but wanting that surveillance and maintenance and keeping the doctors and all of those things. And so this, there's, there's an interesting intersection there for the ACA to impact how people work. And Monica, is there truth? I'm going to put you in the hot seat. I want to know. Just say you don't know. Is there truth to this notion that companies now reserve the right to deny access to the Affordable Care Act? I'm I'm botching this, but or they're dropping insurance 
um, as a as a premium or a benefit for, be, to save money? Is what am I speaking English the right way? So what I think you're asking <laughs> is about some of the news articles that have been put out about particular companies who have been uh, who have decided to no longer offer health insurance to certain employees. Right. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So that is in fact true, and but what has been interesting is to actually look at the company's motivation. So for example, Trader Joe's did decide to stop offering health insurance to their part-time employees. And the original news story was sort of, you know, Trader Joe's stops offering it because of the Affordable Care Act. When you took a sort of deeper dive into their motivations, it was because if Trader Joe's stopped providing health insurance to part-time employers, to part-time employees, they would, those employees would then be eligible to go get financial assistance through the marketplace to purchase insurance. So it was, in fact, a benefit to their employees that Trader Joe's stopped providing the insurance. And what about, wasn't so there I something with... That, again, it's one of... Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, again, with all of this, you know, read past sort of that initial headline to really figure out what the story is about because I think that there's the, the news and the spin around all of this has been epic. And, and I want to go back to the topic of how the majority of fast food employees are now 28 years old and how does the Affordable Care Act help almost like the working poor or the working lower middle class? In, it, is, 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 is there a donut hole in there at all anywhere that, you know, where, where are the gaps in the young adult world for that? So I think the biggest gap really is in the states that have chosen to not expand Medicaid. So Medicaid is a program for individuals who have low incomes, and up until 2014, not only do you have to have a low income and asset level, you also have to fall into another category. So are you pregnant? Are you a minor? Uh, do you have a disability? The ACA expanded the Medicaid program and created a new category of individuals who are at or below 138 of the federal poverty level, and that's $15,000 a year. So, you know, that's kind of the, the fast food worker industry, um, roughly. And the Supreme Court decision made that expansion voluntary. So some states are going to be expanding, some states aren't. In the states that are expanding, I would say there's less of a gap. In the states that are not expanding, there's going to be a huge gap. Also, the Affordable Care Act does not address the issue of undocumented individuals. So they are not, in fact, entitled to purchase insurance through the marketplaces. So there are some gaps. This is certainly not the magic pill that's going to solve all problems. Um, but I do, you know, we've talked about it before. It's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. So let's let's wrap here in a few minutes. I want to get down to the, the nuts and bolts of what Cancer Incurs actually does. The webinars, your conferences, your training, you have a manual for healthcare professionals. I assume that was part of what we were discussing before. You have a seminar kit. You so Matt's on the website. I'm staring. <laughs> I am verbatiming your website. 
to get you to expound upon it. I would be happy to do that. So we we try to deliver the content around work and cancer in as many different ways as we can to suit the many different kinds of audiences that we have. So uh, we are a national organization, so everything we offer is free of charge for patients, survivors, healthcare professionals, and anyone else who's accessing it. And so we do a series of webinars and teleconferences, both for patients, things like our Ask the Experts teleconference series and our Job Search Tips, Tricks, and Tools webinar. Uh, we also have an educational series for healthcare professionals that's accredited that we offer twice a year uh, in cycles of three um, that is focused on all of these issues but directed towards the oncology nurse, nurse navigator, social worker population. Um, we do a national conference on working cancer every year in New York City. Next year's date is June 13th. Save it. Be there. <laughs> Matthew. I will be there. Um, I owe you like three years worth do. of You do. You owe me three years. And I'll tell you this. Uh, the first year we did it was 2011, and this year we had a 71.5% increase in attendance from year one to year three. So it's not a plateauing topic. It's a topic that people are gravitating towards. We offer a scholarship program. You can apply for scholarships to attend the conference, travel scholarships. That opens in January. Um, and then we have a series of publications in English and Spanish, as is the website in English and Spanish. Um, and we do on-site in-service trainings for healthcare professionals, where we literally go in with either Monica or Joanna and spend five to eight hours totally focused on all of these issues to help healthcare professionals better understand what their patients are going through and look for triggers in the conversation. So really, we're just trying to make sure that we're anywhere someone might want it. We have a responsive design website, so our mobile traffic is through the roof because people are sort of thinking about it while they're sitting at a doctor's appointment, and now they can really go through the site just as if they were sitting at their computer. So, uh, Monica, are there other attorneys out there in the cancel legal rights universe because on the local level, I would imagine the laws are very different in different states and sometimes maybe even region to region. Uh, I know in New York, there's the New York Legal Assistance. Uh, I'm going to botch NILAG, it. Yeah, NILAG. NILAG. The New York Legal Assistance Group. Right. Uh, do those exist in, in harmony with the accomplishments you're trying to achieve in awareness? And do they serve the same or are they more for like legal assistance if like you, you need to sue somebody? So definitely they I mean, exist in harmony as far as I know. There is a National Cancer Legal Services Network, which is a network of um, several different organizations across the country that provide cancer-related legal services. Um, as far as I know, many of them are focused on providing direct service, which is wonderful. Um, but I would say, you know, if folks are, are looking for an attorney, they can um, go to uh, L. I'm sorry, nclsn.org, or they can look to their county or state bar associations if they look for attorneys. Um, but as far as I know, triage cancer and the work that we're doing are the only people solely focused on providing the information and the resources. And I guess my final question for both of you is, is what kind of actual traction and progress do you think you could be uh, most accounted for? Just the fact that more people are aware of you have you real? Have you seen? Are there companies out there like? Is there a gold star of excellence kind of thing where you're speaking to certain major corporations that are actually following the rules and they're complying with the laws? It, it, does that exist? So I, I mean, I think that there are all sorts of like sort of. Uh, uh, 
seal giving organizations like working mother is a famous example and they look at a matrix of things and talk about the kind of company and we've certainly talked about that internally but we still really feel like our work is the patient themselves and making that individual person's life and ability to work key. But what I can tell you has been interesting in the last couple of years is we've been doing some public interest surveying with Harris Interactive, so we're learning more about the population in a scientifically collected way. Um, And we're being approached all the time by people interested in this topic now. And I can tell you 10 years ago, I was still saying, so here's why work matters to someone with cancer. And so I I don't, I might paint the picture because it's emotive and it gets people drawn in, but I don't have to explain that anymore. I'm having different conversations now. So we've been approached by a handful of different organizations in the last year or so who are kind of interested either on a research standpoint on this issue or on the employer side of this issue and sort of what's going on in that space. And that's how I know difference is happening. And that people can find us. Right. Because there was a period of time where it was just sort of like, you know, the road show literally, and it was like, yeah. hey. Right, exactly. <laughs> and now people sort of are seeking it out rather than um, not. Monica, final thoughts? I think that that's abs- everything Rebecca said is absolutely true, and I think it's also indicative in how many healthcare professionals and cancer organizations are asking for us to come to talk about these issues. So the first few years we did this, again, it was sort of this, this is why we have to talk about the law and the practical. Um, and now it's, you know, my frequent flyer mile account can attest <laughs> that we are being asked to go places that we never thought we'd be. And I only hope that that continues so that we can keep getting this information to the people that need it. It's actually funny that Monica says that because we're doing our end of year wrap up for our board and we had 33% more speaking engagements in 2013 than in 2012. You need like, like, you know, you're coming to the comedy cellar in, you know, Spokane, Washington on Sunday. You you basically need like a booking agent, and I want a bus or a plane, <laughs> yeah. like I, you know, like I would like like plush situation right. in the back to travel a little yes. more comfortably. Yes. I will drive you. Kenny will drive you. If I'm putting requests in, I ask for the plane. <laughs> you have to put a hashtag in front of it, though. Yeah. That hashtag Kenny hashtag. Thank you. That that works. I think the underlying issue here is that this is not about the cure, and it's a new narrative in this country, maybe maybe global in other countries too that cancer may not necessarily be the death sentence, but we want to make sure it's not a life sentence. Absolutely. I mean, the, the survey we did last year with Harris, 79% of the people who answered the survey said that their cancer recovery was aided by the routine nature of working. Right. And so we don't know what they're defining that aided by, right? That's a different data point. But just conceptually, that right. 79% of people who answered that felt like work was an important positive Right. In their recovery. Medicine is only part of the equation. This is not clinical. This is your life. Correct. And how do you make it as normal as possible along the way? And fulfilling and productive and accomplishment filled. Yes. Just like your peers. Well, I that's what this show's about. That's what the young adult movement's about. Hi, have we met? (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna just trip trip trip. I'm gonna play this just because I said so. That was for you, Rebecca. Thanks, Matt. My dear. Well, anyway, so that's that's our show. This is a great show. Thank you guys so much for coming back on the air. As always, a really important topic that shall live on in perpetuity on the interwebs for all time. 
And we'll go down in the annals of history as the single greatest show in the history of ever. Yeah, it's been pretty good having you on the show. Yeah. That was real nice of you, Kenny. <laughs> Hashtag nicest he's ever been. <laughs> Monica, thank you so much for calling in. I'm sure our paths will cross at some point because they're always somewhere I am and vice versa and maybe Rebecca, too. And your and your lovely sister, Joanna. It's true. All right. Well, I will. All right. Thank you so much. All righty, Kenny. You ready? I am ready. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 284th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, Rahib Kanik, Rebecca Nellis, and Monica Bryant. Join us next week. Holistic health in the real world. Everything you eat will kill you. True or false? Is coffee good? Eggs are bad. What the fuck? Let's get down to brass taxes on the issues of holistic health in the real world every day. Join us as we welcome Meg Harrison, Executive Director of Cook for Your Life, Susan Bratton, Founder and CEO of Meals to Heal, and Survivor Health Coach Francesca Geisman, Founder of The Nourishing Seed. They will tackle this hard-hitting issue. Emily Lingenfelder in the Survivor Spotlight. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, thanks for listening, and have a great week.